0: ACF Technologies presents Industrial Transformation, Stories of Failure and Success from the Front Lines of American Manufacturing.
1: Welcome back. I am Jeremy Frank, the host of the Industrial Transformation podcast. And I'm very excited to have another guest to speak with this morning. Our guest is Mike Ruskowski who is the senior program manager at the Electric Power Research Institute, known in the industry of power generation as EPRI. And for those who have been following along, this is the fourth installment of a four-part series where we've been taking a deep dive into some of the important happenings in the, in the modern and future electric power generation sector. Uh, we've talked with Lauren Poindexter of Amaran Callaway who is in innovation for, for both nuclear and uh, fossil power plants. Then we've talked with Jason Babbick of Westinghouse about the innovative things happening there. And then we've talked with our own Adam Dalo, who has worked in the power gen industry, uh, in, in nuclear specifically, and has now been driving change from inside a technology company. Now I'm very pleased to be able to speak with Mike Roskowski who is at the center of the organization that globally drives innovation and change for the power gen sector so Mike welcome to the podcast
0: uh, thank you Jeremy I'm really excited to to talk with you um, around you know what kcf has been involved with and where we see the, the the power industry going on a global scale
1: wonderful yeah I'm really really glad to have gotten to know you only fairly recently but I've you know, I've known EPRI for quite some time, and I I understand. I think I understand the the mission and purpose of, of EPRI. But can you tell us just a little bit? Uh, introduce us to EPRI, and then also just your your specific role within EPRI.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, like you said, the Electric Power Research Institute, but EPRI in general is um, it's a global nonprofit research and development organization. That's really looking at all aspects of the power industry. So the 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 power producing assets from a a fossil side, renewable side, and nuclear side, all the way down to the meter to the end user, from a residential and commercial side, and everything in between. And you know we we were kind of we were born out of uh, a blackout in New York City back in uh, the 1960s, and uh, the 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 industry came together and said we need somebody to be looking long term because our our focus is is really immediate needs for our customers and our equipment so in the 70s epri was born and we've always we've always had this approach of looking beyond the horizon and 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 looking at where the is going that maybe the the the, the stakeholders and the, and the the companies involved don't have that far line of sight because they can't, because they have to worry about the day-to-day immediate needs.
1: So Mike, I just, I'm really interested. If you know the story, I'd I'd be curious to hear a little bit about what, you know, what that incident was in the sixties that, uh, that tripped off the need for EPRI.
0: Sure. So, you know, what happened was, it was uh, maintenance issues and lack of asset management that led to a blackout up in, you know the Northeast, in particular, affecting New York City, um, which ironically both my parents are from New York City and were in that area during the blackout. And you know because companies were really focusing in on the the, the end product and and the, the the bottom dollar, it was it was identified across. You know it was self identified by the industry that there was a need for, you know a company or an institute to be looking long-term research for the better of the overall, you know, power industry um, that was kind of detached from uh, in particular utility or even from the government. And that's where the nonprofit, you know, electric power research Institute kind of was born out of, out of that blackout.
1: Okay. That's why, I mean, there's so many ironies to unpack there, just that it's, you know, so what is that? uh, 60 years ago, in the very place where, you know, Thomas Edison pioneered electric power generation with, you know, Nikola Tesla. We were talking about that in the in the, the Westinghouse interview. Um, but then, you know, here we are. So so the, you have the, the incident that, that is maintenance driven and triggers the need for EPRI. Here we are 60 years later dealing with the same stuff, although obviously we've made a lot of progress. There's still a lot of challenges out there. And then, and then on top of that, we're in these, the times of this COVID crisis that are putting particular stress on that exact type of thing, you know, maintenance and and uh, the ability to keep machinery operating. I'm curious, what are you, take us to the present, what are you seeing in terms of EPRI's interaction with these, these utilities trying to operate through this COVID crisis?
0: So it's actually a, a great question, and I kind of want to take a step back to, to almost a little bit pre covid because we've seen such a dramatic shift in how power is being used around the world um, you know we we always talk about it EPRI and I, i'm sure anybody that's in the power industry has has heard the term the duck curve looking at when demand is needed more you know normally in the morning and then towards the afternoon as people are arriving at work and, and leaving work and um you know with the on with the onset of continued development of renewables and you know gas prices being as low as they are, we've seen a shift of you know less overall demand, but a higher peak and lower valleys, which then means the ramp rate is substantially higher. So less power is needed, but when it's needed, it's needed quicker. So we've seen that that you know that effect on the power industry on how you manage your assets. Now Fast forward to, like you said, Jeremy, to, to the COVID, you know, times. Now you're tr- still trying to maintain that. The power demand has dropped off because, you know, some people will think and say, well, everybody's working from home, so people are using their air conditioning, using their lights more substantially more. And that's true, but that's almost a drop in the pan when you look at the larger commercial and industrial areas that are not being used versus residential so we've seen a drop in overall demand but you know our members and the utilities are still having to operate their plants safely and reliably with you know almost a skeleton crew in some instances so there's a there's a there's a big focus on what tools can you know be used and things like you know data analytics you know sensor technology remote you know remote you know, subject matter expert with using mobile devices to to kind of fill that void of, of things that used to be more um, face-to-face or, you know, person-to-person. And it, it's been a struggle, but I got to I gotta say, you know, 20, you know, 15, 16 years in the power industry, I'm always amazed by how resilient people can be when their backs are against the wall and how to still, you know, progress, but at the same time, maintain that core aspect of safe, you know, reliable and efficient power production.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm so glad to be speaking with you because I just find it fascinating. I, you know, I was speaking with some a, a different, a, a different slice of the power gen industry that's um, kind of focused on reducing those the, those key uh, demand points for, from a capacity uh, standpoint. You know, in capacity trading. But just in the process of that, we we were quantifying just some of the assets that we monitor, and I think something that would blow people away is that there's there are pumps and fans large enough that they consume a million dollars worth of electricity a year, or sometimes more. And it, when you talk about turning your lights off or you know not running your shower, it, it, those things are important cumulatively. But there's one one single pump in a in a big factory can can consume you know as much as thousands of people. It's just it's a uh, It's amazing when you see it up close. I'm I'm curious. So I know that you're you're specifically deeply focused within uh, what what I think every calls generation, but uh, uh, gas fired plants and coal plants. My understanding is that the gas plants and peaker plants specifically are the ones dealing with that, that greatest, you know, these volatility shifts that you speak of. What is it that you see there? What are the biggest challenges within within coal or or gas that Companies are currently dealing with.
0: So, I'll, uh, you're you're right, definitely right when you talk about it. You know, the, the gas is probably the heavy lift and the biggest burden on this because they were you know those plants, both simple cycle, which is just you know the the gas turbine to an exhaust, or a combined cycle where the 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 exhaust from the gas turbine heats up you know water into steam that goes to a steam turbine. So you're pretty much you know getting you know, double the, the power output for the same, you know, fuel source. Um, they were built for a better flexibility and our coal units, you know, similar to, to the larger coal units to to nuclear units were based, were built for large base load. So they're both getting, you know, they're both feeling this effect um, for the coal plants. It's interesting. You know, I don't think it's any surprise or to anybody that yes, coal plants are retiring not only, you know, in the US but worldwide. You know, many companies have come out with, you know, reduction of their carbon footprint by 2030, 2040, 2050. And, and an easy way to do that obviously is, you know, you know, the, the the retirement of coal plants. However, there are still valuable, you know, coal assets out there that are being used in a flexibility. You know, flexible operation mode, and you know they've had to make changes to, to to controls, to their their automation, to how the operators work with the equipment. Whereas, you know, a gas plant is a little more automated because they're a little newer. I guess it's it's interesting when you say new in the power industry. That's usually twenty years or less. So mm-hmm. you know, for us in a world that you know old is you know, your cell phone is two years old, that's old, you know, new in the power <laughs> industry is definitely a different take on it. But, you know, from the coal side, I think the biggest, you know, struggles we see is just, you know, the the efficiency, you know, having that right fuel source. And 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 really you're limited in some instances, it's a it's a it's a catch twenty two. You're limited on how Low, you can go in power, and how quickly you can ramp up based on your environmental controls on a coal plant. But those environmental controls, such as you know a, a, f- a fuel gas desulfurization for your SO two or selective catalytic reactor for your 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 NOX your NOx, are needed just to keep that plant online. So you're limited by that. From a from a from a gas plant, I, I think the limitations really come to you know, you're, it's really about the people, the amount of people. And, and what I mean is at a coal plant and a nuclear plant, I'll use a nuclear plant as an example, you know, for a 2,000 megawatt dual unit plant, you would probably have about 1,000 to 1,200 people on site, which means you have a fully vetted maintenance staff, fully vetted engineering staff. At a coal plant, you may be in 100 to 150 people for, you know, a 500 megawatt, 600 megawatt plant for a, a two unit combined cycle plant that's maybe around 800 to 1000 megawatts, you're talking of a total staff of maybe 30, more True. likely around 20. So you're limited on what you can maintain and what you can operate. And granted these plants were made for some flexibility, they're not made to be started or stopped, you know, seven, eight, nine times a week. So you're 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 straining the design, the engineering design aspects of some of your equipment. And how do you and this is where the, the the data analytics comes into play is how do you get ahead of that curve? So not everything you're doing is reactive, because if anybody's lived in a reactive world, you never get ahead. It's always going to be a downhill snowball effect.
1: Yeah. Well, I know it well, and it's it's just so interesting because I, you know, I'm actually looking out my window. We're we're adjacent to Campus at Penn State University, and we've had a collaborative relationship with the Penn State Steam Plant uh, uh, for uh, well over a decade. But it's a combined cycle and now a, a cogeneration plant, also where they take the the, the waste uh, steam heat and pipe it throughout campus to to heat the buildings. They, uh, in fact, it's a funny thing. They on campus, if you ever walk on Penn State in the wintertime, the sidewalks never have snow on them because they very intelligently laid that out. So the steam heats the sidewalks, but from a power standpoint, it's, it's really quite a state of the art thing. And they went through that change. So when I was in grad school, th- it was a coal plant and they used to mm-hmm. truck the coal in from Kentucky and you'd see, I don't know, 30 trucks come down college Avenue every day. And there was dust all over the wall or the windows of the engineering building from our co-founder, Gary Koopman. We used to t- talk about that. Anyway, they went through that and they, they're, it's now a, a gas fired um, co plant. And they, we, so we see that same thing here with the reduced staff. A couple questions. I mean, so when you're in, I mean, we know we're, we're especially deep on, you know, the balance of plant equipment, the, the ID fans, FD fans, boiler feed water pumps, even the valves, things like that. And that's the stuff that I think, you know, if you're operating on a skeleton crew, from my observations, that's the stuff that really bites you because it's just not possible to have, a, you know, you can't stand there and babysit all the pumps and fans and, and smaller equipment throughout a, a large plant. Mm-hmm. So what do, you, what do you do? I mean, I, and I also know that, you know, the power gen industry uh, across, you know, coal, nuclear and, and gas has been uh, really a laggard in terms of adopting this technology, at least in our experience. So most of them are flying blind. What, what do you see? Like, what do you do? What are the risks? Of, if you have a a fan or a pump fail catastrophically and you're dealing with it reactively, like what are the consequences that people are then faced with?
0: Uh, I mean, it, it, it's a great question. I think you really, you, you hit the nail on the head when you talk balance of plant equipment, um, you know, you know, just, you know, prepping for this. I, I listened to the previous webcast and it was really interesting. Listen to Jason from West Westinghouse talk about, you know, with, with the larger units, you know, when you look at, the, the steam turbines and the generators, and you know, even the, the you know, some of the larger transformers, they've always had that sensor capability because, you know, for lack of a better term, they're really expensive and people don't want to replace it, so it's easier to put money up front to know what's going on and what's the health of that piece of equipment. But previously, even going back maybe a decade ago, it wasn't cost feasible to, to have additional sensors and information coming from your balance of plant equipment. Maybe your, your boiler feed pump, because that's a critical thing, but more times than not, it wasn't the major critical equipment that, that, that led to issues. It's like you said, the valving, the pumps, the fans and people, I don't think people in the industry think of it this way, but sometimes people forget that it's all interconnected. You know, if, if, You had, I'll use a perfect example with a, with a, with a coal plant, you know, we have these, these, we have these fans that strictly just move air from the outside into the coal mill to make the, to get the right measurement of air to fuel ratio. So you get the right, you know, burn rate and right, you know, you know, right flame intensity in your boiler. Now, if that fan goes down, it may be a minor fan, but now you're not getting the right rate, which means you may not be able to use that coal mill, which means you might have to take that coal mill off. Now, more than likely, the plant has you know, repetitiveness built in, but if one of the other ones is down, now you're derated. So the impact can be seen from a power output, which then you know, correlates to you know, financial and it's not just the financial aspect of loss of megawatts output. Now you have to take into account, um, you know, reactive maintenance is always more expensive than preventive maintenance. So now you're now you're circling to either bring people in on overtime in house or reach out to contractors. Now, if you you might need to be build scaffolding, you're going to have to do. You might have to take other equipment off, which is then going to reduce your 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 power output even more. It's a it's a it's a you know it's a trickle down effect in the sense as. One piece of balance of plan, if you don't maintain it, and like you said, we haven't had the capability to babysit it, can lead to, you know, potentially, you know, a complete shutdown of the plan, a forced outage, and hopefully it doesn't occur, but it could occur catastrophic failure to bigger equipment. So luckily, we live in a world now, like everything that is technology, price drops dramatically as it becomes more and more. You know, build build out, and you 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 build out the different revisions. And we're at a place now where that sensor technology and that information can be put on your balance of plant equipment and give you that line of sight on those things like the valves, like the fans, like the pumps and motors. That now you're getting a better sense of what your plant actually is looking like versus. This is what my steam turbine looks like, and everything that's everything that's feeding into it and feeding out of it is kind of a black box.
1: Yeah. So it, it's just a there's a there's a fascinating dynamic here, Mike. Because and and it's just it you know you're exposed to it. I'm so curious to understand uh, your your view on this next part. And by the way, everything you just said, we see that all the time. And it some the one part of it that you that you didn't highlight that I think is an additional interrelated factor is safety, just because like not only are you scrambling to fix the equipment reactively, and that has a cost, it's more expensive to do it that way. But this has been studied by, you know, by the Department of Defense, other parts of the government by the aerospace industry, the, the, um, the most risky industrial activity is a maintenance person performing reactive work, because you're, you know, you're running around with your house on fire trying to Firefight—that's when people slip. That's when they hit their head. That's when they hurt their hand. Sometimes they die. You know, it's a—it's—it's um, it's all of those things. What I want to talk about next is so we you know—obviously, you've gotten to know us and and some of the core experts in our company. The it does work. You know, the sensor—the uh, cost of putting wireless health monitoring sensors on all this equipment has come down, but. What I think a lot of people don't realize, and I, I've like lived this deeply, it's been that way for a long time. So, you know, we got our start into this, into this you know, what's now called uh, IoT, IIoT, in, uh, Industry 4.0, all the way back in 2004. And, and it's actually interrelated with EPRI tangentially. We were funded, there was a program from the Department of Energy. It was, it was the Industrial Technology uh, Program Office, that's now the EERE, the Energy Efficiency Renewable Energy Office, and they funded uh, several companies um, in what was called wireless, wireless, uh, industrial wireless for the 21st century. And there were some experts at uh, Oak Ridge National Lab. We probably know some of the same people. Anyway, that was 2004, mm-hmm. and it was you know GE and Emerson and, and Honeywell or Eaton were part of it, as were was KCF Technologies. And the truth is that the the sensor technology. Was it wasn't what it is today, but it was functionally affordable, and yet many companies attempted to do it and, and failed at a pretty large scale. You know, some really almost not some most large companies, including the ones I just mentioned, took a pretty good you know attempt at doing this, and and were not able to be successful. And I'm I'm curious. You know, I have my own point of view on it, but I'm curious, you know, especially from 2010 on 2015, for sure, the technology has not been the holdup. It's not about being able to put a little wireless sensor on a machine and solve the problem. From your point of view, what do you think is the holdup? Like, why has this not been achieved at large scale in these power plants?
0: To to your point, Jeremy, there has been a slow process, and I really... I really, truly think that it's, the, it's that cultural acceptance in the power industry. Um, mm-hmm. The power industry, when you look at it from all aspects, has always kind of built and prided itself on it, its, its people. Um, they, could, they could do anything. They're keeping the lights on 24-7, 365. And now, you know, we've seen it. For years on the on the fossil side and even, you know, the last decade on the nuclear side side with the, you know, you know, the nuclear promise of reducing O&M costs by 5% across the entire fleet. We've been living that on the generation side. So it's there's still pushback, but now it's, you know, now it's not a convenience that says, oh, well, there's technology out there. But why why do I need this technology when I've got an operating shift or I got mechanics that could go out? and, you know, put their hands on it and, and they know the plant. They can walk in and hear if a vibration is is on the feed pump because they've been around it for years and they can tell that difference. But now it's a necessity. So now we're seeing that. I think the other thing is that's a, happening is, you know, we're seeing this transitioning workforce. If you look at the numbers, the average age of the workforce is decreasing, you know, for two reasons. One, you know, we're seeing the retirements, they're the power industry kind of had gaps in the nineties and early two thousands where they didn't hire. So you're seeing this, you know, this age decrease. So now you've got this new generation of, you know, of personnel that are working in the plants or supporting the plants and they've grown up with technology. So they want that. That's what they, that's what their needs are. That's how they can, you know, that's how they understand it, how they learn and how they can do their job. So again, now that's paying playing into the, you know, the necessity of it. So I think that's why we're starting to see that creep forward. The third thing is we have to take into account renewables. In particular, I want to talk, you know, you know, wind turbines and photovoltaic on a grand scale. Those plants have no personnel. So everything is done off of technology with that with sensors and data analytics and and pretty much they're equivalent of a control room looks like a large scale monitoring and diagnostic center. So now you have this aspect that's building up continuously in the power industry worldwide at a rapid pace. And it should be, but they have no fallback on sending, you know, Joe, the mechanic or, or, or Jim, the operator out to the plant. They have to live in that, 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 that technology world of, of sensors and technology and data and you know, preventive and you know, advanced pattern recognition—those areas—that they're pushing it, and now everybody else is doing it out of necessity because everybody's being asked to reduce operations and maintenance costs.
1: Yeah, that's a fact, and it's interrelated, right? Because because of the low price of gas, and because of you know, essentially free operating cost of renewables—at least, maybe nearly free—everything is being uh, stressed from a cost standpoint. In, in a good way, I mean, you know, there's there's such a good story in that for both for the environment and sustainability and for the consumer, you know, all of us will gradually be getting lower and lower prices, but it really puts a lot of pressure on the, the backbone. I mean, the, the very same plants that make it possible for us to live now are being squeezed by those same dynamics that are really good in the long term. There's just, there, there are ironies across the board. It's it's really wild.
0: It, it, it's it's. It's, it's amazing. And it's, it's, and it's, it's, it's fun. It's funny that you say like, you know, it is leading towards lower prices, but it's also putting strains. We talked, I talked about, you know, flexible operation for some of these larger, you know, base loaded units. And when you look at it, it's, it's always fascinating because when the sun's highest in the air, you know, up in the sky and you're, you're really accumulating the most from your solar panels it's when the power demands at the lowest. So now you you don't have really that storage, and that's where you know potentially you know moving forward of bulk energy storage comes into play. You have all this sun you know sun you know generated power in the middle of the day that's not needed. So now you're asking your 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 coal units and your gas units to ramp down as low as possible and almost potentially operate at a negative you know negative impact. And this is where you know there's I. We could talk power, you know, the, the the power markets, but that's a whole nother time. But it's it, it's just so fascinating because, like you said, you pull one string, and everything unravels. There's no nothing's isolated.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, you know, it's funny I, that uh, I, I want to come onto a, another topic that's related, but I that that what you just described, I have talked with some people that are living that very intensely in uh, in Arizona. You know, the 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 big utility in Arizona. And specifically the Palo Verde nuclear plant. Um, it's what is it, Arizona Power and Light, APL?
0: Uh, Arizona Public Service APS.
1: APS. A, I, the, uh, I, I know one of the the leaders at Palo Verde and you know they're in this dynamic where they they have had some the equivalent of a public referendum saying that they want to be fully you know sustainable and especially photovoltaic by a certain date, an aggressive date and and yet that's one of the biggest uh gen you know base load generators in the whole world and and those two things just don't match up unless you have the ability to store a tremendous amount of of electricity which currently isn't possible so it's just it creates these impossible situations that they're they're dealing with i want i wanted to come back to something that you said because i think it's really important and and we by the way you know the the the, I guess I would say lethargy or, or reluctance for the power gen industry to adopt these, you know, these, at this point, proven technology, there's not many companies that can do it, but those that can it's proven. I mean, this works. The, uh, the different sectors, you know, you can, we have exposure to that. And there's ironies there too, where the, um, you know, for example, like 10 years ago, we actually looked at this Strategically, and had, had poked at a number of industries. And we concluded at the time that there were three sectors that were the best ones to focus on uh, power generation, uh, you, you, like utilities with a primary focus on universities, like uh, commercial buildings, basically, and, uh, and district energy facilities, and then um, paper, paper, and pulp. And of those three, we basically gave up on power gen and, and university utilities for a while, like years. And, and paper has, has, you know, been a steady uptake. I mean, there are paper plants where we, we have thousands and thousands of sensors in single plants and companies have installed, you know, across their whole base yet power gen and oil and gas, you know, oil and gas. So many people have described to me the same dynamic in oil and gas that you have in power gen, which is that, you know, it's, they're just used to the same old way of doing things. They're reluctant to change. And yet, our experience has been that when we hit a tipping point, particularly in the upstream sector, they have been the fastest and the best at adopting the new technology. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I, I think a lot of it does come down to the people. The wild thing about power gen, when you talked about manpower, is that is that there is sort of like this magical bridge, because you know you have the younger workforce and they're more they're more embracing of technology. However. You know, as well as I do, that many times that piece of equipment was installed in 1920. And the, the guy who's been working in the plant since 1972, he knows a lot about how to make that machine, that pump or fan run in a healthy way. And what's amazing is because of the connectivity of the data, like having it in the cloud, you can actually bridge that gap from the, the experienced person to the new person Leveraging technology, if you can just convince them to use it, you know, you, you can actually listen to the health of, mach- of the machine remotely. And then he can talk to the young engineer and say, look, this is the funny sound out of all the sounds it's making. This is the sound that means that the bearing is failing or that it's imbalanced or whatever. And, and it, 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 that's the way it works. I mean, we see that particularly in the COVID time, you know, because those guys are, are probably the most stressed part of the workforce during COVID as well.
0: Yeah, and, and and I know as we we've talked over the last couple of weeks and talking about you know you and your team and how you've worked, I always I found it I always find it fascinating to talk about other industries like talking about the the, the paper and pulp and how we have this being in the power industry since I've got out of college we always have this aura of hey we're you know we're the we're the tip of the spear. We're keeping the lights on, but you know you look at other industries that are you know similar heavy industry, heavy you know heavy equipment industries that have been able to make these changes. And you know it, it's it's a great analogy you talk about of being able to take the information off of the equipment and understand and kind of make that that connection between you know the mechanic that's been working on it for twenty plus years with the new engineer strictly through looking at the, looking at the data and building off of the experience that was in the past. The one nice thing about the data, I think is, you know, it takes away the um, maybe I don't want to say bad habits, but you know what, one of the things that we always concern sometimes have a concern about is, and it comes back to the key point you talked about with safety is you work around the equipment so much that you understand it, you know what it's telling you. You know how to maintain it. You also know the ways of maybe work the workarounds to 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 do it a little more efficiently. And now you're you're, you're shuffling forward with a, a, a new mechanic or a new engineer, and they'll they could understand the information, but they don't know those workarounds, and that's where you get into a, a potential of safety, and that's why the the information. Is key because it's going to make everybody do it the same way um, and learn from those other things. You know, build in the fact that hey, when you see this uptick in this acoustic, you know, signature, this is usually saying that your inboard bearings going off, and here's a list of what could potentially leading to that. It could be debris, it could be wear, it could be you know you know uh, improper lubrication and then you start pulling that thread well when's the last time a lube analysis lube oil analysis was done when's the last time that bearing was changed check the work order did it have you know did it have the proper steps was everything done was anything noted when they when they replaced it you know and that's where we're getting to the next step is for the technology to do all that work and come back to the, the engineer and say hey your bearing's going because the oil that you put in was not the correct oil. Here, the work order's been put in play to change that out for tomorrow on day shift. And oh, by the way, we've shut that pump off and went to the backup. And now the engineer just has to monitor and keep track of it. That's where mm. we need to get.
1: I like that. Yeah, you know, and it's it's interesting, just with all the buzz of the, you know, industry 4.0, there, there's a lot of people talking about that. But one of the dynamics I see is that they're skipping the hard work of actually getting that, wh- whether it's tribal knowledge or bad habits or intelligence and intuition. It's, it's both, you know, <laughs> uh, but it's but in each particular case, it's one or the other. The hard work of actually getting that knowledge out of the people who know the machinery, in my experience, that that's been one of the main failings of those that have attempted, wh- whether you call it IoT or industry or Industry 4.0. If you don't do the hard work of actually solving real problems in real plants, then you, you simply you can't get to that future state, and mm-hmm. that's that's something we've just been experiencing uh, deeply.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's a good point. It's it's the hardest thing for two reasons. One, sometimes some of that information is difficult to extract, and sometimes you know that that individual. Is holding on to that information because that's their, you know, that's their golden nugget. That's that that information is what's going to keep them viable at the plant because people see technology as not a, you know, not as a tool to help, but as a, you know, as for a lack of a better term, metaphor, the, you know, Skynet of Terminator Two. It's going to replace me. That's, that's not the where we need. That's not where we need to be. And the other thing is really. You know what it comes down to is, um, people aren't staying in positions for twenty years anymore. You know the average time I think that you know the next generation stays is you know two, three, four years. So you're 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 bouncing around. So it's like every two to three years, it's almost a reset. So we need to improve the capabilities of getting that information to those individuals quicker, so that they could they could get into that they could be successful in that position quicker, knowing that their shelf life is less.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I I could continue this conversation for I think hours, Mike. I, I find this just fascinating. Uh, the just to start wrapping it up because we are uh, running out of time. You know what what uh, Lauren Poindexter has done at and Callaway, which interestingly enough, as they went in the reverse order of what you described, which I guess in retrospect was more difficult than it had to be because it started in nuclear and then he's he's spread it fully to all their their fossil uh, generation. But it's been exactly that dynamic. You know, they invested a couple hundred thousand dollars. They've already documented over a million dollars of savings. But the, the more important dynamic from his point of view has been those team dynamics. You know, they there, there are always some skeptics at the beginning. But once they see something that works, you know, people just want to make electricity and they want to not get hurt. And when it works, people turn into believers pretty quickly. it it's a it's just a great dynamic that that. Uh, I just want to start wrapping up, and I there's a couple more questions I have for you as part of the wrap up, but it maybe it maybe cues into that. I'm just curious. So for all the things we've talked about and all the things you do in your work, what would you say is the single biggest problem that that you wish you could eradicate if you had like a magic wand or something?
0: Um, I think it's the you know. I think the, the the biggest thing and I think one of the biggest hurdles that I wish I could easily just wipe away is that, that that cultural, you know, mentality or thought process that we see across the world in power plants that, you know, tech technology's here to replace me. I, I think that that hinders so much because you, you and I know that anybody could do a top-down approach and say, "Thou shall, you know, embrace this technology and do it." But if you don't get buy-in from the people and the workers that are using it on a day-to-day basis, it'll never succeed. And I think that's comes back to the point that we talked about why there's been a hindrance in the power, you know, generation uh, industry versus maybe some other industries. Mm. And you know, we're getting there, and we're seeing it with some, you know, some tools. Some things as simple as like some of the digital worker head-mounted tablet that, you know, a 20-year operator that, you know, used it and said, this is great. You know, you're starting to get that buy-in. And if if companies are keeping those people involved, whether it's, you know, a shift or a, what we'll call a steering committee at a plant, and that buy-in starts on day one, it makes it so much easier. But it's just, it's that it's that hill that is always difficult to overcome. No matter what you know, no matter what scenario you're in, no matter where in the world you're at,
1: yeah, it changes hard. <laughs> or at least, if you you think it's people think it's hard, it's not always hard, but yeah. What about the future? So, if if maybe just that one problem, but you know, many many problems. If if you take us out, like I like to think of 2030 as the future. I know in power gen, it's more like 2040 or 50 that that people like to talk about, but. Whatever the future is for you, how good do you think it can be? Like, if we really do this, if we do the things we're talking about well, what do you think the future can be like? Uh, I mean,
0: I, I have, you know, such a positive outf- outlook on the future for just the power industry in general. I mean, it, it's it's not going away. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here in my, my office with two monitors and lights and air conditioner running. We're always going to need it. It's just there's the, there's the opportunity to continually make it more efficient. Um, and what I, what I, what I love about the power industry, and it's one of the things that drew me to it, you know, initially on the nuclear side is the diversity. Like you, you really truly need every aspect of it. You know, coal will have a role in some aspect. Gas will always have a role. Renewables will continue to grow, you know, bulk energy storage, you know, will will find a place. Um, looking at low carbon, you know, you know, low carbon fuels like hydrogen are, are starting to be developed more and more. It's, it's always fluid um, for, for, for better or for worse, I guess, you know, I've been on, I've seen the negative side of that, that, that fluidness of the industry, but there's always an end game of, you know, making sure the, 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 the people and the, your end users get that power and, with all the tragedy and with everything going on in in the world right now that we're living through, the, the amount of, of, you know, resolve and, 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 and work I've seen in the power industry to kind of keep those lights on, knowing that, you know, their power production is critical to, you know, commercial units like the hospitals and like people's homes that maybe need that medical treatment and how can they adapt quickly. And, and that's, that's what really, you know, I guess gives me you know that hope and that positive outlook is, if and when needed, if and when it's needed, we can adapt quickly. And I think coming out of this, there's going to be some silver lining as to, hey, we were able to do these things with technology, with people in place, and there was a there was a there was a marriage of it. And how do we keep that? How do we take that from a you know. Uh, 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 an incident of a pandemic but build it into our our daily business plan and and move forward with it and that's you know that's that's my positive outlook
1: I love that mike you know that i mean that convergence of of technology with people people making positive changes that's our whole that's kcs whole vision for the world so i just i love to uh i love that you bring it to that and it's also by the way you know what that's why we chose the power gen sector, you know, the criticality and the resolve of, in, in the necessity of this sector is why we chose this first kind of during this crisis time. Because I, I just agree with everything everything you've said. I have one last question for you. That's really about you, kind of personally, uh, well, personally, but in your in your work and your outlook, I, um, I'm curious if you can tell me something that that you really believe, something you really know uh, to be true, but that others don't agree with you about yet.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can't say that everybody disagrees me with me on this, but I, I maybe have a little more uh, resolve around it is no matter what happens, I still see you know coal power being viable power generation in the industry and not just for you know developing countries but even established you know countries like the United States um I I, str- I struggle sometimes because you know when we talk climate you know control and climate regulation a lot of times what the images you see are of these of these smokestacks with this just you know dark clouds billowing out of it and it's you know it's just it's from the the 70s and 60s and like you you go to a coal plant now and there is a such thing as, clean coal. It sounds ridiculous, but it there is. We have done such an amazing job in the in the power industry as a whole to reduce that, you know, that those emissions. Now they're still there, don't get me wrong, but I think there's still technology out there, you know, of you know maybe recirculating that flue gas through a system where you can scrub it even more. I think there's opportunities because you know the fuel source is Cheaper, and we don't know what happens with gas prices. You know, things are volatile always, and one hiccup can lead to higher prices, which then, you know, it's a ripple effect, like we talked about. Everything's interconnected. But I do see a, 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 a niche area in the power industry that coal will still be viable. Not in every region of the world, but I still see it being there, and I see technology that's to c- continue to improve those those emissions and the automation and the control logic and all those things where you could potentially see a coal plant get down to where you have a staffing of, you know, 10, 12, 15 people, or ultimately be completely remote operated from a central location and have multiple units. So that's, you know, I'm biased. I've worked in the coal. I've worked in nuclear. I see value in both of them. and I know sometimes they're both under fire, but I, I do see, you know the the coal you know industry from a power production side still being viable for those reasons
1: well that is just fascinating mike i'm i'm just so i i'm always just intrigued by divergent thinking and i think it would be an understatement to say that you know kind of the the long term viability of coal that that's very divergent in the current you know climate you know if you watch tv and watch what's being discussed but i think You know, it's the experts who take the effort, uh, put in the effort to understand the real facts who know. And that's something I'll I'll actually personally have to educate myself a bit more about. So I I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, And I I just appreciate this discussion. I really feel like I could talk to you for several hours about these topics and maybe we'll double. I will certainly be talking to each other, um, but maybe a future interview again for some more follow up. But I, we do have to wrap up. I want to say thank you very much for for being on the Industrial Transformation podcast. Do you have anything that you'd like to to say or share in closing?
0: I mean, just really, I, I just wanted to thank you, Jeremy, for you know reaching out and and and, and having you know having me on the, the podcast. It really it really has felt like you know a conversation, you know, and and that's that's great. And I could talk hours on it, and you know just. Really appreciate the time I got with with, with introducing and, and meeting your team and seeing you know how you know you know KCF Technologies is, is working you know not only in the power industry but other industries and, and kind of you know helping bridge that gap. It's it's really impressive and and uh, I look I look forward to, to continued conversations.
1: Yeah, likewise. Well, thank you so much for your time and the and the and the work that you do, Mike, uh, yourself and uh, with the Electric Power Research in- Institute uh, broadly. I, uh, I I very much enjoyed this conversation and we'll look forward to catching up next time. This is the Industrial Transformation Podcast and I'm Jeremy Frank.
0: Thanks for listening to the Industrial Transformation Podcast, a production of Business Builders Media. Learn more about how KCF can help you on your industrial transformation journey at kcftech.com and check
1: out more shows on businessbuildersmedia.com.